Okay, guys, grab your Bible, if you will, and open it to uh, the book of Galatians, chapter 2. And let me read you a couple of places out of, um, out of the book of Galatians. So you stay with me. I'm, I'm going to read the first five verses of chapter 2 and the first five verses of chapter 3. Here we go. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaimed among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet, because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery. To them, we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Chapter 3. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? I want to add one more. Chapter 5, verse 1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it endures forever. Guys, I want to this morning wrap up that the series that we've been in on spiritual depression, its causes and its cures. And want to wrap it up by expanding a thought that I introduced to you last week. Now, the thought that I introduced to you last week was this. Christians very likely are Christians very likely struggle more with depression than do non-Christians. I, that's why I said that last week, and then I gave you two reasons as to why I believe that. I said, number one, that when a Christian gets into a, to a funk, his situation is exacerbated, it's, it's, it's made worse, by the fact that we begin to think, oh, no, am I, am I, um, what's the matter with me? Am I some kind of defective um, uh, project here? Am I... Am I, uh, what, what, I'm not supposed to be experiencing this. I'm not supposed to be thinking this way. Oh, no. The other reason that I gave for my conviction or my thought was that way too many of us have, um, have adopted a fear-based approach to Christian living. And it is that thought that I want to expand this morning, that second thought about this fear-based approach to Christian living. 
Let me, let me give you a third reason why I am convinced that Christians are more likely to suffer through or struggle with depression than non-Christians. The third reason is really related to the second one. But the third reason is legalism. And, and by that I mean genuine Christians who get bound up in this web of, of performance standards and the, the standards end up driving them nuts. Uh, years ago, actually this book came out in 1990. I, I didn't know it was that old. It's almost 20 years old, but this was a, this is a Swindoll book. It's not, you know the name Swindoll. Uh, he wrote this book, Grace Awakening, that so many of you read, I think. In fact, I think some of our grace groups studied it. But on page 77 of that book, um, I, I'm not quoting him exactly. Actually, I'm paraphrasing him, but, uh, he, he, he makes the statement that legalism will suck the joy out of the Christian's experience. I couldn't agree more. You know, the Puritans, of which I consider myself uh, one, the Puritans used to think of themselves as physicians of the soul. Now, guys, if that's true and, and a thing is sucking the joy out of the people of God, you know, we ought to be concerned about it. As a pastor, we ought to be concerned that there's something out there that is, uh, you know, reducing your joy. And I am concerned about it. It's um, it's legalism that that I think is part of the explanations for some of the depression that we experience. Let me give you an example of of those performance standards that I have in mind. Now, <laughs> get ready, guys. I um I tried to think of the most bizarre one I can think of, and I and I think I've done it. Um, just a, a performance standard. Breastfeeding. You know, um, surely that's a good thing. In fact, it's perhaps the best thing when it comes to feeding your infant. When, when we were pastoring in Florida, uh, there was a woman who used to sit on row four and nurse her child while I was preaching in a room about a sixth the size of this one. Now, that's fine and dandy, folks. That's, that's not a problem, but kinda. But, um, <clears throat> but the real problem is when, when breastfeeding becomes a standard of performance for, a, for the Christian. Like this. If you're really spiritual, you will breastfeed your children. I mean, the really, truly mature Christian people. They breastfeed. Um, guys, if you get yourself on that road, on that, on that treadmill of humanly devised performance standards, you are on a road to nowhere. You're on a road to, to depression is where you're headed. And that's what I want to try to address today uh, in the hope that that this will be pastorally sound and kind for you. We'll see. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. I want to go back to the uh, the text itself and take a look at uh, if you've got to, if you still got your Bibles open, you'll you'll see uh, um, exactly what was going on in Galatia. Uh, that was a, a a province in Asia Minor, and and Paul was very upset about what was going on in Galatia. And um, you'll notice it's really explained to you, that is, what's going on in Galatia in verse 4 of chapter 2. 
Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. Now, the, the, the translations are very interesting. The King James says, they came in privily to spy out. Or another one says, they crept in unawares. Who crept in? Well, actually, it's not so much who crept in as what crept in. False teaching crept in. False teaching got into the church in Galatia. And Paul reacts to it vehemently. Uh, if you want to see, that's in chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. He says, if you tamper with the gospel, let them come under divine curse. He's really exercised about this. And so what, what was going on in Galatia is this false teaching had come in. You know, guys, there's, there's false teaching and then there's false teaching. There is a false teaching that is an utter and absolute denial of the Christian gospel. And, um, but, but that's not the thing that troubles the Christian crowd. It's another kind of false teaching. Um, in, in Galatia, the, uh, what was going on is that there were those who wanted to make an addition to the finished gospel. The addition, of course, was circumcision. They were saying that if, unless you were circumcised, you couldn't be saved. And Paul reacts to that with, with just impassioned uh, anger. Um, by the way, there is a 21st century version of that, alive and well today. The, the 21st century version is this, that you've got to be baptized by immersion, by us, or you can't be saved. That's false teaching, ladies and gentlemen. That's a denial and an assault of the gospel. But that's not really the false teaching that I'm concerned about this morning. There's a Christian version. There's a, there's a less virulent version of false teaching creeping in that that leads people it sucks the joy out of their Christian experience. It goes like this. Um if you're really spiritual, I mean if you're really a mature believer, you'll speak in tongues. Or if you're really a spiritual man, woman, You'll memorize scripture. Or if you're really a mature Christian, uh, then you, um, you don't drink. And you don't dance and you don't go to your senior prom. When Susan and I were in seminary, we lived, we lived in a little, actually I, I could call it a cottage, but that would, that would give you one picture. But I hesitate to call it a shack because it'll remind you of that dreadful little book that was circling Memphis a year ago. But it, that's what it was. It was a shack. And um, we paid $62.50 to live there for three years. And it was great for us. It had, uh, it, it was something. Uh, didn't know, anyway. But it was a little place right on the front of the seminary campus. And we loved it. It had a little backyard. And, and we, we had really enjoyed our little shack. But back in the back of the seminary campus, um, they built some student housing. And they were brand new apartments for the married couples. And I'm telling you, they cranked out babies back there left and right. I mean, there were babies galore being going on back there. But anyway, one of the things that we, we laughed at, um, Susie and I, I mean, or, or we, no, no, that, that's not true. We, we couldn't, we couldn't get it is that some salesman got in back there and they started having these parties. Now they weren't Tupperware parties. They were, they were cookware parties. They were selling pots and pans. Now, 
we, we seminary students were all of us were poor as church mice. And they were buying these expensive pots and pans back in the student housing back there. And the attraction to the, to the, um, to this cookware was that this cookware allowed you to make your own baby food. Because, as you know, once you're through breastfeeding, what you need to, the really spiritual people, they make their own baby food. I mean, if you're really a good parent, then you've got to make your own baby food. Guys, um, even my beloved Reformed theology, uh, that I, you know how much I'm committed to that, but even it can become a performance standard. That is, if you're really a spiritual person, you're going to be reformed in your thinking. Susie and I love to call that code living. That is, the really spiritual people live by the code. And everybody's got a code. Everybody's got a list for you. Everybody's got things that they want to tell you is what spiritual people do and what spiritual people don't do. And so the list gets longer and longer of things that I'm supposed to do and 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 not do if I'm going to be a um if I'm going to be perceived as considered a very mature believer. And all the joy gets sucked out of the room as people climb onto these treadmills of of humanly devised performance standards and somebody ends up depressed. Guys, um, if you'll notice back in the text, back in, in Galatians uh, he talks about these people who had brought their false teaching in and they'd crept in unawares. He says, he goes on to say in verse 4, he, he says, um, uh, so that they might bring us into slavery. You know, I don't, I don't expect that slaves are very happy either. But if you adopt the code, whatever code you got, you know, it, 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 it varies from group to group. If you adopt the code, you're going to end up in a bondage, in a slavery. And all the joy in your Christian experience is going to dissipate. And some of us are going to end up depressed. We have, very subtly, turned the gospel into a new kind of law. And, and Christians try to, to, to keep that law through the grinding of their will and somebody ends up depressed. Different groups have different codes. They have different lists. But everybody's got a list of all these humanly devised additions. You know, the things that the spiritually mature people do. 
Guys, very few things distort the gospel of Jesus Christ like legalism. To a legalist, holiness becomes a task. Uh, one that is um, is accomplished by the exertion of my flesh. And it's exhausting. And somebody invariably ends up depressed. Another thing that I would I would say about this Galatian situation that Paul is addressing in, in his book, his letter to the Galatians, <clears throat> is that, that the spirit of bondage, that spirit of slavery, <clears throat> always brings with it a spirit of fear. I think he addresses it in chapter 3 when he talks about, what, what's happened to you people? What, what, what are y'all doing? Who's bewitched you? Always ends up with a, some kind of spirit of fear. And so because it does, Jesus goes out of his way in the three-year course of, uh, the course of his three-year ministry. He goes out of his way to, uh, to overturn it, to confront it, to, um, to stop it, to address it. And, and you see him doing that, that is, going out of his way to confront this thing. You see him doing that in his, in his actions on the Sabbath. Guys, have you ever noticed in the New Testament, in the, in the, in the Gospels, how many things Jesus does on the Sabbath? Um, uh, you know, the, 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 the Pharisees, who were the legalists of the New Testament... The legalists had, had taken the Sabbath and they have defined it as a, the right use of the Sabbath and the wrong use of the Sabbath. And they had codified, codified all of their little rules in a, in a document. And I forget how many, I want to say 200, maybe 400, maybe 600, I don't know how many, but a, a bunch of little rules and regs that we were supposed to observe if we wanted to rightly observe the Sabbath. You do this and you don't do that. And so, this this day that Jesus says in Mark 2, which was supposed to be created for man, to be this life-giving celebration, the Pharisees had turned into this piece of slavery. And so Jesus refuses to let them hijack something that was supposed to be for the good of God's people. And so how does he do that? He, he begins to do things on the Sabbath. <laughs> he, um, remember one, uh, this is Matthew 12. He and the disciples are walking through a wheat field or a grain field on the Sabbath. And they're taking grain off of the, you know, the, the stalks. And they're rubbing it, which was a, a form of uh, harvesting. <clears throat> and so um, the Pharisees are all upset about, you violated one of the, the standards. And he did it on the Sabbath. Remember, he healed a man with a withered hand. Well, that's not a life-threatening disease, ladies and gentlemen. It could have waited till the next day. He, he heals a woman who is bent. One of the translations calls it dropsy. The other says she was bent over and she couldn't stand up. Well, he heals her on the Sabbath. Again and again and again, Jesus is confronting the the... the the Pharisees and their foolishness and their silliness over what they had done to to the to a, a provision that was supposed to be for the delight of God's people. And he refuses to let them hijack that thing into something else. Now, ladies and gentlemen, in that same spirit, I would like to conduct an experiment. 
I've wanted to do this for years and I'm not, I may, I may regret doing it today, but I've wanted to do this for years and now I, maybe I shouldn't do it today, but I'm going to do it. It's an experiment. Are you ready? I got a question for you. Does your opinion of me depend on the identity of the liquid in this glass? I mean, for instance, if, if I were to say to you, there's grape juice in here, would you think one thing? And then if I were to tell you that no, it's not. It's wine in here. Would you think another thing about me? Because, ladies and gentlemen, both of those, both of those are the product of code thinking, code living. Now, let me let me hasten to say something for you parents, because I know you're dying out there, and your little little ones sitting next to you. Let me let me let me say let me speak to the younger members of our audience just for a second. You grade schoolers, you elementary schoolers, you junior highs, senior highs, all of you, listen to me for a second. I am not up here promoting anything this morning. I'm not trying to tell you what to do or what you shouldn't do. Very frankly, your convictions ought to be something that you derive with conversations with your parents, with your mom, with your dad. This is serious business, my friend. You need to go home and ask your mom and daddy. And ultimately, your convictions need to grow out of your, your knowledge of God and his word. Whatever convictions you have, make sure they come from that. I'm not promoting anything up here. I'm simply asking you this question. Does your opinion of me hinge on the contents of this glass? Because if it does... At least in this instance, my friend, you're a legalist. And you're either sucking the joy out of your own life, or you're either sucking the joy out of somebody else's. And that's serious business. Guys, um, the code, whatever the code, it promotes a wrong fear of God, this craven thing. Because I'm so afraid of the people who have given me the, the list, the people who have given me their code. My goodness, they might disapprove of me. I mean, if I don't perform in a, in a way that they define as holy, then they might think of something of me that, <laughs> that I don't want them to think. Now guys, don't misunderstand me. There is a, there is a proper fear of God that you ignore to your own peril. But the one that I'm describing, this, this, this other one, it's a fear that if I don't do what they tell me to do, first of all, they may reject me and God may be angry at me and, 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 and I may lose blessings and, 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 and there's the standards that I haven't kept and, and somebody, somebody invariably is going to end up depressed. All because False teaching 
has crept in unawares. Um, Guys, I think it's ultimately a fear of failure. Uh, it's, um, It's that I don't or I won't measure up to the code. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is a denial of the gospel. Because may I be the first to inform you, you don't measure up. You never will. But the good news is, I'm not saved because of my performance. I'm saved because of Christ's performance for me. Guys, what's the answer to all this? The answer is the gospel. The answer is an understanding of the beauty and the provisions of that are made for people like us through the finished work of Jesus Christ. And, and, and I, I want to suggest to you that a right grasp of the beauties of the gospel would probably cut our incidence of depression in half. Guys, the law has already failed once. That is, that that life that's trying to be lived so that I can measure up to the performance standards, that's already failed once. It failed in the Old Testament. And I'm here to tell you this morning, it's going to fail every time. Because it enables no one, that, that code enables no one to live the Christian life. The, the code, the, the law of God, which is glorious, was designed to expose my failure. Did you know that? For example, um, the ninth commandment, that thou shalt not bear false witness. That is, don't, don't tell a lie. Tell me, how many lies have you told over a lifetime? How many lies have you told over the past year? How many lies have you told today? Do you see, that's what the law is supposed to do. It's supposed to expose our failure so that we would say, you know what I need? I need a savior. That's what the law was designed for, folks. Not to give you some... Standards by which you might earn God's favor. Guys, um, if you impose on yourself, if you impose on yourself as a Christian a new code, a new law, which, which you are trying to keep in your own strength and your own might, you are doomed to failure. And somebody is going to end up depressed. Getting rid of that thing, getting rid of that spirit of bondage, getting rid of that spirit of fear is done, folks, by a, a, an understanding and a grasp to realize the provisions that Jesus Christ has made for people like us. Well, let me just mention a couple. 
First of all, guys, do you realize that if you're in Christ, you are in union with Christ? Have you ever heard that? Have you ever read in John 17 where Jesus is praying? John 17, verse 23, Jesus prays. God, he's talking to his father. He says, Father, I want the whole world to know that you love them. That is your people. I want the whole world to know that you love them the same way you love me. I am loved by God like he loves his own son. How long am I going to have to live as a Christian before I finally believe that? I'm a son in the fullest sense of that term, folks. I'm not trying to meet performance standards. Am, Am I trying to live a holy life? Sure I am. But for a whole different set of reasons. I'm trying to... I'm trying to express to God how grateful I am for all that he's done for me in Christ Jesus. That's the first provision, union in Christ. This, one of the second is that you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. Did you, did you understand that? And so it is not my might, it is not my power, it is not my strength, it is not my energy, it is not my will. It is God granting me power the God who the the spirit who lives within me I'm not passive I cooperate with God the Holy Spirit and in this project of making me like Christ but but as I wrestle with my own flesh I'm being empowered by the Holy Spirit he has he has I'm working out what he has worked in me all in the hope that God will get great glory from my life And that's the way you lose the spirit of fear, ladies and gentlemen, the spirit of bondage. Our Christian living is not a matter of the rules and regulations. We're free. We're not free to sin. But we're free from the curse of the law. And we're also free from the curse of other people's lists that they want to impose on me. I'm free from that, ladies and gentlemen. I um, I don't any longer live under the bondage of will I or won't I measure up. No. I won't measure up and neither will you. But again, Jesus Christ does measure up. And he's my savior. You know, guys, um, NASA... The space agency in this country, they, 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 they know that if their calculations are off just the slightest bit, they could miss their target by hundreds, perhaps even thousands of miles. The legalists are not far off. Does God delight in, in holiness? Sure he does. But you've got to understand that my relationship, my standing, my value, my worth, as a son of God, doesn't depend on my performance. The only performance that it's worth having is Christ's for me. And because of that, I've been set free. I, I want to close with a story. Um, 
Um, guys, you've got a really good staff here at Gracie Band. I, I think there's 12 of us. But I get the privilege of being the head coach of a very wonderful staff here. Good women, men. And, um, you know, they're, they might be weird, but, you know, but they're, they're really, they're really great folks. And, and I wouldn't, as a staff, I wouldn't trade them for another staff in all of America. But some of them are weirder than others, you know? I mean, um, I mean, take this Brent William, Brent uh, Wilkins fellow. He is the director of administrative operations here at Grace Van. Have you met Brent? Did you know that Brent is a caver? A caver. That means he goes into caves. And he just got back, um, like the 10th day of this month, he just got back from the most famous cave in the world that's um, out in New Mexico. And he spent eight days, ladies and gentlemen, eight days, 150 feet below the surface of the earth, and there was no light down there. The only light that they had for eight days is this little light on their hats. Can you say claustrophobia? <laughs> I mean, can you imagine that? Well, anyway, while he was down there, he got he got a, got the chance to share the gospel with one of the other team members. It was a woman who is a world class caver. She, she caves all over the, the world. Uh, the government pays her to do it, and she maps caves. And interestingly, she started the conversation. And um, she was saying to Brent how much she disliked Christians, how much she hated Christianity. <clears throat> and she said the reason, I mean, she went on to say the reason that I, you know, I hate Christians is because they're always trying to tell me what to do. They, they, they always want to tell me what's right and wrong. How to live my life. And so when she got finished, Brent said, no, no. You've got this all wrong. Christianity is not about us being good people. We're not good people. It's about Christ. It's about all that he has done for us. It's his merit that's going to, that's going, that God is going to accept. It's not anything that we have done. Very frankly, if we get what we deserve, we'll be punished. But we're not going to get that because of the great finished work of Jesus Christ for us. Went on and on and on about the, the Christian messages about Christ and him crucified and all of his finished work. When he was done... The woman listened, and this is what she said. She said, she said, I've never heard that before. No, 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 they haven't. You know what they've heard about? They've heard about our rules and regulations. They've heard about how much we condemn homosexuality. They've heard about how we tend to vote for Republicans. And how much we despise all the wicked things that are going on in the country. That's what they've heard about. But they haven't heard of the beauties of Christ's finished work. For us broken people. 
That's our job, ladies and gentlemen. Not to produce more regulations. Our job is to go proclaim the beauties and the excellencies of the finished work of Jesus Christ for sinners. Father, I do pray that you will use what I've said to lift some of your people out of a pit that perhaps they've produced themselves or somebody else produced for them. But be that as it may, Lord, might they find joy in, um, in, a, in discovering the, the, the provisions of the Christian gospel for people like us. Broken, inconsistent, flawed people who have had a Savior die for them. Might that message be broadcast from this pulpit and from this church forevermore. Lord, would you raise up a, a large group of people who will not any longer stand for the imposition of foolishness on us. And that we might live holy lives because we're eager to say how much we love you and how much we're grateful for all that you've done for us in Christ. Lord, um, thank you for the privilege of being able to say that. I pray that your people have not been hurt by anything that I have said or done. But set them free, Lord. Set us all free that we might go out, that we might be let loose to go love Jesus Christ and love people. We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name.